if what you said is true, Mark Withers and the Nerd Cage could be dangerous. Hello and welcome. That's right. You're trapped in Nerd Cage Live. This ain't just a reaction show, but a debate show and a live discussion on everything that makes people like you and I tick. So thank you for joining us tonight. Please hit that like button and subscribe. I'm your co-host, Jason G, coming to you live from Syracuse, New York, and always with me, the warrior from Wakanda, the fiend from Louisville, my man, Mark Withers. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, man? Super excited to be here as usual. And yes, today's episode is going to focus on one of the most divisive comic book movies of the 2010s. I know you and I have differing opinions about its director. It is the second installment in the DCEU. And of course, I'm talking about Batman v Superman. Now, Jay, in our very first pilot episode, we discussed this film, uh, particularly the Ultimate Edition, and I had to admit that while I absolutely hated the theatrical version, I love the Ultimate Edition. So here we are, almost a year later, we've rewatched this Ultimate Edition. How do you feel about it? Do you still feel like this movie is worthy of a defense? Absolutely. I'm here tonight to defend this movie because we're getting ready for the Snyder Cut. I took a minute to rewatch Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman Ultimate Cut back to back over the weekend. And I feel like these movies hold up very well. I absolutely feel in my heart of hearts that these movies were misunderstood. It's worth my time to defend it and hoping by the end of this particular podcast either people who did not see the ultimate cut will watch the ultimate cut or people who just had a knee-jerk reaction five years ago will take a minute to pause re-watch it and re-appreciate it as we get close to the snyder cut my personal feeling about the theatrical version mm -hmm. is that it's lacking a lot in narrative and i think that that was the big issue with a lot of people that went to see it in the theater Yes. Um, the Ultimate Edition takes a lot of that into account, gives us almost an hour additional story and fills in those gaps. And so I personally am a big fan of that. And it really did a lot to change my view of Zack Snyder as a director. And so I tend to agree with you that this is actually a very good movie. And had this been, you know, the version that was released in theaters, the whole landscape of the DCEU might look entirely different. Yeah, 100% right. And I will admit, I still enjoyed the theatrical version. I went and saw it opening night. I was excited. I walked out of the theater, you know, with a smile. I mean, okay, I should say smile on my face because it did end on a very uh, sorrow note, but I still loved how the movie was executed. And I go home and I log onto my computer and I'm just seeing the fan reaction, I was like shocked. Like, I'm like, wow, I was like the only one who liked this movie. <laughs> and and like I said, I did have my nitpicks with it. And to be fair, the major nitpicks I had, the Ultimate Edition ultimately fixed that. I mean, before this movie was made, like even when the movie was announced, there were people like button heads about it. So Mark, please go into detail of all the stuff you know it was like at least a decade in development absolutely yeah yeah you would have to take it back to the early 2000s and akiva goldsman who people will know from i am legend was actually hired to write a script jude law had been cast as superman colin farrell had been cast as batman and almost in the 11th hour 
Warner Brothers decided to change gears and they decided that they wanted to reboot both Superman and Batman as Superman Returns and Batman Begins respectively. And so mm -hmm. it was shelved. If anybody's seen I Am Legend, you'll yep. notice there's a scene where there's a billboard that has the Batman logo with Superman logo inside it. And that was meant to be an inside joke because Akiva Goldsman had finished the final script and Unfortunately, that was a movie that was never going to see the light of day. And so it wasn't actually until 2015, I, I take that back, it wasn't actually until 2013 that talks of revitalizing this idea came about after Man of Steel was completed. Originally, they were just going to do a Man of Steel 2, and they were going to introduce Batman in that as a way to sort of springboard into Justice League. And somewhere yeah. along the way, the idea got pitched, well, why don't we make that versus movie that we had in the can? BVS was kind of born out of that. Then and, we got the casting news. <laughs> right. <laughs> the dreaded casting news or excellent casting news, depending on, on your point of view. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about Ben Affleck because that's he's the yep. elephant in the room, right? So. Yep. Ben Affleck was the first one to meet with the Warner Brothers executives and to meet with Zack Snyder about the role. They knew right off the bat that they wanted him, but they did talk to some other actors. One of those actors happened to be Josh Brolin. They were thinking about, yep. well, we know that this Batman is 20 years into his career. He's going to be like sort of hard and grizzled and kind of have this very rough exterior, who better to pull that off than Josh Brolin? And we I talked about that. that in our Deadpool episode. Even how he to was this perfect day, I would, love, I would love to see Josh Brolin get a crack at Batman. Like, right. in my mind, Josh Brolin is a good Frank Miller Batman. Sure. And sure. I also want to add too, is, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they offer money to have Christian Bale come back one last time, but he said no. Was that true? No. That's a rumor. So oh, okay. Christian Bale actually expressed interest in bringing over the Nolan Batman into the DCEU. He was willing and interested in reprising his role, but Warner Brothers never met with him. They never approached him about reprising the role, even though Christopher Nolan was an executive producer on this movie and sort of guided the film and they took notes from the Nolan trilogy and things like that. What they really decided to do ultimately was to revamp the character and make Batman closer to what he would be in the Man of Steel universe, I guess, or the same universe as that version of Superman. And by the way, speaking of Man of Steel, it's kind of hard not to talk about Man of Steel uh, when we talk about this movie, but they heavily hinted at a DCEU because right. you saw the Wayne satellite. And the other thing too, that Zack Snyder confirmed not that long ago, the oil rig scene where he fell into the ocean. Right. When you hear the whale make that sound, that was Aquaman, Aquaman. Yep. saving Clark. Yeah, and that was something that was like a fan rumor, like right when it came out. I remember yeah. like very clearly people were talking about that. And so it's good to hear that that is confirmed, that that was like the intent, that they were actually thinking about building this larger DCEU yeah. way back then at that time. So yeah, so when Ben Affleck was announced, I remember like the internet blew up. How could we forget? I wasn't mad at the casting because Ben Affleck, who's fresh off of Argo, and right. of course, the one movie that we've praised before, The Town. Oh, great movie. Like, 
I'm like, you know what? I believe in Ben Affleck. And another thing, too, is a lot of people, and we've said this on the show earlier, too, is at the time, people kept remembering Daredevil, Jiggly, yes. Jersey Girl, Armageddon, all these other bad movies that he did. But everyone's forgetting about Goodwill Hunting and the recent Oscars. I'm like, Ben Affleck's not the same actor now that he was 10, 15 years ago. He's evolved. And I'll say it right here, right now. To this day, he's my favorite Batman. Mine too. And I was one of those naysayers. I can admit that. You know, my limited experience with Ben Affleck at the time were those early Kevin Smith movies and then Daredevil. And so... I wasn't the biggest Ben Affleck fan at the time. And so when I found out about the casting, I was like, oh, this is the worst decision <laughs> possibly made. You know what I mean? Not just because they cast Ben Affleck, but because I really felt like the role of Batman should go to somebody that's relatively unknown so that we don't attach that mm-hmm. star recognition to this character. But, you know, I got to say, even in the theatrical version of BBS, which I absolutely did not like, the one shining aspect of it was Affleck's portrayal as Batman. I really believe then and now that he's probably the only actor that has successfully gotten that role correct. So most people, when they play Bruce Wayne and Batman, they sort of play Bruce Wayne as the normal persona and then Batman is just sort of like the costume. He's Mm -hmm. the only one that's like, okay, Bruce Wayne is the costume. He's Batman all the time. He's one of the only people that I think, if not the only one that's truly gotten that. And for that, you know, you have to give him respect. And as far as the comic book adaptation, he looks the closest to what you would expect Batman to look like if he actually jumped off the page. Oh, that was so well said, Mark. I'm so glad you said everything that you just said. One more thing I want to talk about too real quick is that I feel like every Batman casting throughout history, I mean, even Robert Pattinson, like every time we hear a new casting of a Batman, everybody loses their damn mind. (laughs) So so this was no, but I feel like this was like the biggest blow up. I mean, even Michael Keaton got crap. Listen, I love Michael Keaton. He's my second favorite. But Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, and even Christian Bale, they're not big, you know? Batman's supposed to be a hulking individual right. Ben Affleck is what six foot four and mm-hmm. he's a black belt he's big and right. Matthew Farden voice actor um saw him when he was an extra on the way back and oh, he wow. reached out to me he goes yo when you see Ben Affleck in person he's larger than life he's macho Ben Affleck's got size to him that right. Christian Bale and Michael Keaton clearly did not right and on top of that Batman is supposed to be the world's greatest detective we yeah. never really got to see a lot of that in uh, the Burton films. I mean, maybe a little bit. And then in the Nolan verse, the only scene I can think of is the Dark Knight with the bullet, where he right the ballistics. He got the bullet. Yes, yeah. the fingerprints in the bullet. And this one, he's full blown detective. He's trying to get into that criminal underground to bust Lex Luthor. So we get to see a lot of that world's greatest detective. And on top of that, we get the best hand to hand combat scene from any Batman movie, the warehouse scene. Yes. Fun fact, they brought in for that scene, one of the game developers from the Batman Arkham Asylum games came in to help choreograph that fight in that scene. That's why that scene looks so familiar is because they took inspiration from the Batman Arkham Asylum games. So again, we see him with the hand-to-hand combat skills and the world's greatest detective. We didn't need to hear the whole origin story over again. They just did it briefly in the beginning of the movie. And I was fine with that. 
Yeah, I enjoyed that too. And you know, going back to that warehouse scene, that was the scene that really sold me on Ben Affleck. You know, I liked his performance throughout, mm -hmm. but you know, when you get to that scene where Alfred's like, well, there are combatants on the third floor, I'm gonna drop you off on the second, and then he yeah. just bursts through the floor onto the third floor, to me, that was right off of the page of a detective comics book or a Batman comic book. You know, even the way that those assailants were sort of handled, right? So yeah. he's making good use of his grappling hook, of his cape, of the spikes on his gauntlets. You know, these are things that he does in the comics that you really haven't seen too much of in any of the live action adaptations. And so yeah. to see that on screen for the first time, especially in a big theater, like, yeah. you know, like I did back in 2016, that's what sold me on him. I was like, this guy should play Batman forever. The other big casting, uh, this is one where I, I probably won't defend, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. I didn't have a problem with the casting per se. I just felt like the performance itself, he didn't feel like a threat. I know that he's not a fighter, but I'm saying like anytime he's on screen, it, it just took me a minute to like, realize like that he's supposed to be a threat right and i think that if there was any miscast at all in the dceu that is the one that is glaringly obvious you know mm -hmm. now i'll preface that with this i'm a jesse eisenberg fan i love him in zombie land i love him in the art of self-defense there's a yep. lot of good movies that he's social done. network social network now you see me he's a great actor but mm -hmm. Not every actor is right for every role. And I think that in the case of Lex Luthor, you really need somebody that, even if they're not physically imposing, that has some kind of intimidation factor about them. And yeah. while he made a valiant attempt to sort of bring that menacing quality to this film, it really kind of played off as kind of annoying and a little yeah. bit twerpish. It took me out of it. Every time he was on screen, I was really like kind of put off for however long he was there. Now, before we go any further, I think that we need to talk about the unsung hero here in, in terms of the cast. Jeremy Irons is Alfred. Yeah. We have not seen a version of Alfred that is that surly, that sarcastic, mm -hmm. almost disgruntled. He's had 20 years of putting up with Bruce Wayne in this role, which has yep. actually meant a monumental amount of extra work for him, as well as constantly worrying about this kid that he raised, you know, yeah. as a promise to his former employer. I feel like if there were any real world version where Alfred Pennyworth existed, this would be it. And Jeremy Irons was just the perfect choice. And he really brought that animus to the role in a way that I, for one, was not expecting. Every single Alfred we ever gotten, even dating back to uh, Alan Napier in mm -hmm. the 66 Batman, right. I have loved every single Alfred that we've ever gotten, even in Gotham. But most times you see Alfred, he's just the butler, Batman's right. butler. This one, he's really like with Bruce, Batman, you know, right. they're teaming up to solve crimes and strategize. Like you like you just mentioned earlier, like, I'm gonna put you on the second floor instead. Like, right. cool that we got this Alfred that was like more involved in what Batman is doing on his missions and stuff. Right, right. He's doing a lot of the investigative work. He's repairing a lot of the Bat devices, his vehicles, all kinds of things 
that make it possible for Bruce to do what he does. And what I loved about it is that he's not cheerful about it. You know, you've seen versions of Alfred do this kind of thing before, but he's always like very happy to do it and he's in a good mm -hmm. mood and he's like kind of, you know, kind of good humored about it. This guy's just very annoyed at the whole thing and <laughs> kind of sick of being there, kind of sick of putting up with it. And I feel like if this was your job in real life, you would absolutely feel like that. You know, so, <laughs> so I just love, I, first of all, I love Jeremy Irons and everything, but him in this role, I couldn't think of anybody who could do it better. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's get the other elephant out of the room because it's <laughs> again. I'm here. I'm here to defend this movie, but we gotta sure. get the elephants out of the way, and let's start with the nightmare scene. I understand why people were confused. I'm seeing the general audience. You gotta understand that the Injustice comic line, the Injustice video games, were in full swing before right. this movie came out, and people who are crying about, oh my god, Superman's not supposed to be a bad guy. Listen, I'm telling you, you gotta read Injustice. Going from Injustice, seeing this side of Henry Cable, oh man, was it awesome. As far as the context, okay, mm -hmm. it's not just a nightmare, it's a vision, and then the flash comes right. in. I love how it's done. I love yeah. that. So, Mark, spill it. I want to know if you have any problems or what you have to say about the nightmare scene. I have no negative uh, thoughts about that. That was one of the scenes that I actually admired from the get-go. You know, as a fan of the Injustice comics, you know, by the way, that's probably my favorite modern comic storyline. The fact that you had that vision and then he wakes up from that nightmare into another nightmare. Like, so it's like a dream within a dream. And that gives us our first glimpse of the Flash who actually is older, more experienced. I loved everything about that. It wasn't until recently just like reading articles about it where I even ever heard anybody say anything negative about it. To me, that's one of the brighter spots of the film. In, in some lucky universe, if we get like a movie just about that, like yeah. find me up. But I heard a lot of people like talk negatively about that scene or were just confused. Like, well, where did that come from? What was the whole point of that? That was placed there to let us know like, hey, there, there are timelines, there's dimensions, you know, like right. the other um, elephant in the room Martha. <laughs> so now that, that scene I had a problem with. Yeah. The people who hated that movie just zeroed in on that. Right. The way I perceived it, apparently the rest of the world did not. Right. But the way I perceived it was Batman stopped himself from killing Clark, not because of his mother happens to have the same name. Right. It was because Bruce did not realize that Superman, Clark Kent, had an earth mother. Right, I think people probably dislike that scene for you know, different reasons. But the thing that I had a problem with, and this really is a very small nitpick, it's more of like a, like a script issue, but I really thought it was odd that Clark would refer to his earth mother as Martha when he's never done it before. At no point in Man of Steel does he just call her by her first name. At no point before that moment did he call her by her first name. But here he is saying, they're going to kill Martha, not they're going to kill my mother, which would have been a million times easier and would have probably gotten the same result. But I get that they were trying to go for that big moment where Batman would be reminded of himself. But 
to me, it was a little bit sloppy execution. It didn't kill the moment. I mean, it didn't kill the, the film for me like that alone. Well, it did for a lot of other people. It did, it did for a lot of people. But like I said, I think that they were looking at it maybe a little differently than you and I were. And that's an excellent point that you bring up is that, you know, at this point, Bruce doesn't know that Clark was raised on Earth. He just yeah. knows that he's an alien and that he's come down. He doesn't know what his motives are. And to hear that name, you know, he, and he's wondering like, why did you say that name? He has no idea that he actually was raised on earth and has earth parents and one of them is in distress. And yeah. that brings him back to his whole purpose, which is to be a hero and not a killer. That was well said. So I'm hoping that Again, people who either seen the movie or ha I mean, like I said, I think we just spoiled for those who haven't seen it, but I feel like a lot, a lot of people did see this movie. Right. I mean, the box office numbers, you know, are there. Like it grossed just under 900 million, which- 863 Warner million, I believe. Yeah, which which was, was, a, was a disappointment for Warner Brothers because they were expecting a billion plus. Right. That's pretty good. It was just like, I just think that that knee jerk reaction, including that Martha scene. I mean, we're talking about 130, $140 million opening cut in half following week because everyone kept talking about the Martha scene and everything else like right. and it was just like a knee-jerk reaction I feel like the general audience just completely missed that point for that matter completely missed the movie so like right. I said I'm saying to anyone who's listening give this movie another chance there's a lot to appreciate here terrific opening I just love the title in the beginning there Metropolis Mankind's Introduced to the Superman Right. I love that because it's exactly what happened in Man of Steel, but we're seeing it from Bruce's perspective. Right. It's, everything there is the same. Like if you, I watch movies back to back, everything that you see is happening is the same, but from a different angle. Brilliant. Yeah. And it set the tone. It gave Bruce a motive from the jump. Again, I love all the shots. Zack Snyder knows how to make shots. All around performance, Henry Cable, flawless. Ben Affleck, flawless. Another thing this movie does not get enough credit for. It gave us the first official appearance in a movie for Wonder Woman. Some and the line, ones. is she with you? I thought she was with you. <laughs> <laughs> so before we actually talk about the Snyder Cut, I actually wanted to sort of talk about the two fan edits that came out in the wake yes. of the theatrical release. So before there was an Ultimate Edition, two different fan edits came out. One is called the Arkham Edit, and the other one is called the Justice Cut. Now the Arkham Edit, completely strips out the third act of the film. So the big battle with Doomsday is gone. Wonder Woman in her full costume, using her powers is not in it. The scene- I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. And, and she was the, the and, scene stealer, man. She really was. Right, and to a lot of people that's true, but there were a lot of fans that really felt like the movie would have been better if it was just focused on those two main characters. And so I think almost an hour of the film is taken out in that third act. And I think that another aspect of that Arkham edit is that it takes the beginning of the film and moves it to the end so that Superman doesn't die at the end. He actually ends up just living a normal life with Lois. The Justice Cut is a little bit different. It takes some scenes out, but it keeps the third act, but it removes any reference to the Justice League. So the nightmare scene is gone. The scene where there are the different files yeah. on the Flash and Cyborg and Wonder Woman, that's taken out of the film. And then the color grading is changed. There's more saturation and it okay. has like a brighter not, color oh, grading. That's one of the things I like about this movie is the color grading. Right. That's what made the Josh Whedon Justice League like so bad because 
the color grading definitely looked off. Right. You know, I mean, I get why because they were trying to get away from this dark brooding Snyderverse, which turned right. out to be a mistake. But like, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. No, I love the color palette that they use in this movie and in I agree. But yeah, like that's the difference in those two edits. Yeah, I love this movie a lot. It holds near and dear to my heart. I still love this movie, but I do have a couple of nitpicks here. I'll start with uh, Doomsday. I liked Doomsday in the movie. I just didn't like how it was executed because to me, it looked way too much like the abomination from right. The Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton. I get it, this was like a baby Doomsday, just fresh out of the oven, but like, I would have preferred the crystallized version. It is a little, I wanna say gut-wrenching, but like, the way that they killed Jimmy Olsen so quickly <laughs> in the universe, Superman's best friend, Right. It's killed before Superman even meets him. <laughs> right. <laughs> I actually, you know, I had a couple of emotions. So, you know, in the theatrical version, they make no inference to him as yes. Jimmy Olsen. So you just yeah. think that he's this CIA operative yep. who is pretending to be a photographer. And that's the end of it. But when I watch the Ultimate Edition and he announces himself as Jimmy Olsen for a split second, I was like, oh, that is amazing. Like yeah. Jimmy Olsen's in this universe, you know what I mean? And then I realized what happens to him and I'm like, why did they even do that? <laughs> like, why did they Why did they bother to give us this character who like actually liked that version of Jimmy Olsen a lot. Like instead of him being kind of a dweeb and kind of like a guy that like kind of follows Superman around, they actually made him cool. And they made him, you know, someone who takes risks and is dangerous and- yeah. And maybe they could have fleshed that character out to be somebody really important in the DCEU. Instead, yeah. they waste him on this particular <laughs> scene. They really could have let him live, honestly. And I don't know why they executed him. But uh, but yeah, that was a huge disappointment for me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> One of the cool things about this movie is that we get an old grizzled Batman that's the Frank Miller version, the fed up one, right. that one that doesn't give a damn anymore. And we know why. We see that Robin is dead. Right. Okay, I have no problem with the dead Robin because, spoiler alert, I would love to see a Red Hood movie or something down the road. The problem I have is, now Zack Snyder said it, but he still got a chance to change his mind. But after the movie came out, Zack Snyder said, oh yeah, that's Dick Grayson's Robin that was killed. And I'm right. like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Hang on a second. Why would you want to kill off Dick Grayson? I would have been perfectly, if it was Jason Todd or even Tim Drake, right. I would have been fine with that. It does bother me a little bit that Zack Snyder says, yeah, that's actually Dick Grayson's costume in there. Yeah, so, I don't like that either. Yeah. It, it really should have been Jason Todd, if anything. You know what I mean? There was something else that I thought about with that. Within the films, you know, aside from Zack Snyder saying what he said, there's nowhere in the dialogue that talks about the death of Robin, right? Yeah. Now, we know that in one of the Batman Beyond episodes, I think it might have been the final episode, the Joker from the future is actually Tim Drake, who was Robin. So yeah. my theory at the time before Zach made any comments was that where you see the jokes on you, Batman spray painted on his costume, mm -hmm. that that actually is Robin who has become the Joker and has spray painted that on his costume himself. Yeah, you're um, not the only one I, who has that theory. There's, I've yeah, and right, and and that was what I was thinking. But the fact that he definitively said that Robin is dead and that's Dick Grayson, it doesn't really work for me. I agree. 
you know, if we're going to see more movies or more of this universe, he still has a chance to change that and say, right. actually, it's not Dick Grayson, it's Jason Todd, it's or it's Tim Drake, whatever. Right. I see why people are upset about Jimmy Olsen. I'm a little bit like, whoa, wait, wait, you're going to kill off Dick Grayson? Like, what, what, right. what kid? So... I'm hearing rumors that there's going to be a flashback of why Wayne Manor was burned down and how Robin died. So okay. we'll hopefully get more explanation on that. But I do find it off-putting that it, instead of Jason Todd being, which in the comics, that's what he's famous for. Right. That, no, he's picked Dick Grayson instead. Right. Well, we know that if that flashback exists, that in Zack Snyder's version, it's not the Joker that kills him because it's sort of been revealed that there's only going to be one scene with the Joker, which is, I think, like a dream sequence or something like yeah. that. Jared Leto is only in the Snyder Cut for that. I'm looking at the time now, so I figured I'm going to give it, I'm standing behind this, I don't care who laughs at me, I'm giving it nine out of 10. What this movie established, I know it's a very divisive film, but look what it did fantastic Aquaman out of this. We got fantastic Wonder Woman out of this. The movie did what it had to do, which was to expand upon the DCEU, which it did. So I know some people saying that they didn't do it right. They rushed it. They didn't do what Marvel did, but I feel like they did what they could. And I thought they did it well. And I have to give it a nine out of 10. Mark, what you got? So nitpicks aside, I do feel a lot differently about this movie than I did five years ago. I still believe that the theatrical version is a bit of a mess, but I don't think that that's Zack Snyder's fault. I think that, you know, this is what happens sometimes when studios interfere. Mm -hmm. um, the Ultimate Edition gives you a lot more story. It makes the entire narrative make sense. And if you look at the story through the prism of 9-11, which most of us have lived through, you can really see a lot of important allegories, especially in the beginning where you're seeing all this destruction and you're seeing the end of Man of Steel through Bruce Wayne's eyes and you are seeing the casualties, the cost that comes with a world that has Superman in it. That kind of allows you to see these two characters as the two main important like political archetypes, right? You have sort of the conservative archetype in Batman that's like, this guy is a threat. And if there's a 1% chance that he could harm us, we have to take that as a certainty. We have to make the preemptive strike. And then you have the left-leaning Superman. You know, he's just there to try to help people and he's misunderstood in his intentions. And yeah. so if you look at those two archetypes and sort of match them with the real world, you can kind of get a sense of what it would be like if these heroes actually existed. Yeah. And if you look at it through that lens, I think you'll really enjoy the ultimate edition of BBS. It's definitely worth the watch. Yes, the Snyder Cut comes out on March 18th. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna watch it right at two in the morning when it drops and I will give my first impression. We will give it a spoiler-free review and we will do a full-blown spoiler discussion and we're going to dissect the hell out of it but i also want to make a heavy push that we are doing a zach snyder justice league watch party on saturday march 27th and we have a whole crew with us dion from off the beaten podcast matthew farden brian from monstrosities titan goji yoko higuchi and wild band we're all gonna be watching this film together i cannot wait these are all guys who are 
fans of this universe and they've all been begging for this version of the movie. And you can get the Leonardo DiCaprio memes ready because there's going to be a lot of screen pointing and there's going to be a lot of excitement. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of laughs. Be ready. We are all here for it. And I just, I really hope everyone can be there. So that being said, before we go, we ask you to pre please like, comment, subscribe, ring that bell, spread that shit like silver. So the USA from Louisville to Syracuse and all of our friends and fans around the world at Nerd Cage Live, please enjoy life, stay safe, and good night. Sayonara. Ooh, trying to get out of the nerd cage, are ya? Well, before you go, hit that subscribe button. And if you're really intrigued, ring that bell. Thank you for dropping by. Until next time, tell everyone you know about Nerd Cage Live! <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>